0: So good morning listeners and welcome to Sacred Space in West Limit one hundred two. My name is John Keeley. thank you again for joining me this morning. And this the actually it's the nineteenth of August, the twentieth Sunday in ordinary time. Delighted to be joined in studio here this morning again by Lorraine Buckley. Good morning to you, how are you?
1: Good morning, John. Good morning listeners. How Thank are you?
0: We're good. Thanks a lot for coming back and joining us again. We're gonna give you double the work this week, but that's okay, we'll do that in well, part as two maybe.
1: Everybody knows we pre record our programme, which is just as well because the entire county of Limerick <laughs> will be heading to Croker. That's right. Or that's right. Walking into Croker at the moment.
0: And Shane all the way somewhere right there in Skyline, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'd imagine you're not going to go to Croker. How are you? Good morning.
1: Uh, bonjour, mes chers amis. How are we today? Very well. Did you get a ticket for the match there, Shane?
2: Ah, uh, no, that wouldn't have been right <laughs> up there on my list of, um, of things to get. Oh, Shane, I'm disappointed. Unfortunately, I'm, um, I'm regarded as a bit of an oddity in my rather large <laughs> extended family in the fact the day they were given at the GAA jeans at school, I must have been sick. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 at the same time, but at the same time, yes. Uh, where I am today, I will be struggling to tune in at uh, the radio station to try and cheer on the boys in green, and hopefully they will do us proud in Crook Park. Good
0: man yourself. Well done, Shane. In the meantime, thank you again. All those people who are listening to us at home, those people are housebound, um, those people who may be struggling with some health problems this morning, lonely... Um, maybe I know the world meeting the families is coming up as we mentioned there in the last few weeks they might be struggling in terms of being lonely and missing family we're with you this morning Uh, you're always in our prayers you're always in our thoughts and we we try to remember you as much as we can on this programme thanks again for joining us this morning Uh, of course this is going out at 10am West Limit 1 or 2 local radio it's going out or due to go out or planned to go out at 11pm each Sunday night it didn't go out last Sunday night I was informed by a few listeners Apologies about that, but really we can do nothing about it here. Uh, we, we, we forward on the program to the station. Um, I've contacted the station up to date. I haven't had any message back, but I'm sure there's some technical problem. Um, that's the reason why it didn't go out. But if you can get it here on local 102 radio, you can go into our blog, which is www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. You can also tune into iTunes, which is by searching come and see inspirations, or you can, well, I think that's it, isn't it, Shane? I mean, that's all we've got so far, isn't (laughs) it? We've got iTunes, we've got the blog, and we've got the radio. Just, just, just.
2: Exactly. So, uh, yeah, with, uh, I, I, at the moment, John, we're not
0: planning to extend it much further than that. <laughs> further. Yeah, not not unless you win the lottery and no. you start paying me a salary. No, 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 no. <laughs> In the meantime, if you want to contact us at all with any question, as we said before, any message, um, any request, the request might be for music, it might be maybe to to address a certain faith topic. Uh, it might be to um, have us invite um, certain people into the radio. Please do so by either emailing us, sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Or you can text us an 0876088667. That's 0876088667. So this part of the programme, Shane, you've got some celestial guides that are going to accompany us for the week. Would you mind sharing some with us, please?
2: Yeah, no problem, John. So as you said, today is the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. So we are praying Psalter week four, for those that are doing the Liturgy of the Hours of the Divine Office. Uh, now, in terms of saints for the week, we have a couple of interesting ones. Uh, first up, Bernard of Clairvaux died in 1153, a Cistercian monk, so famous member of the Cistercian family. Uh, he became a Cistercian in 1113, and he was Abbot of Clairvaux in 1115. Uh, He was very renowned for for his writings to do with biblical studies, spiritual theology and philosophy. Tradition, or not tradition, historically he is associated with preaching the Second Crusade for Pope Urban uh, to encourage the reclamation of the Holy Land for the safe travel of Christian pilgrims. Um, He is the patron saint of Gibraltar and beekeepers for some reason. Uh, He shares the beekeeping uh, patronage with uh, St. Ambrose of Milan, actually. And it's an interesting one. The Memorare is, is by tradition attributed to St. Bernard um, as being the composer of that prayer to Our Lady. Because, of course, there is a great devotion to Our Lady in the Cistercian Order, and Bernard is one of their writers in, uh, in relation to uh, the tradition surrounding Marianology. Uh, so it's just an interesting one. Then on the 21st of August, we have the feast day of Pope St. Pius X, so this was the Pope that died just at the outset of the First World War in 1914. Uh, he was the Cardinal Patriarch of Venice, so he was one of, uh, I think it was three or four patri- uh, uh, Archbishops of Venice that eventually became Pope. So of course we had him, we had John Twenty-Third. we had John Paul I, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember the fourth one, I think it was one of the Piuses. Uh, He was Pope from 1903, and one of the things that Pius is most, of course, is the relaxation on the rules around the blessed sacrament or holy. And he encouraged more frequent reception and so that children seven could receive. So he was Pope of the Eucharist. Then on the 22nd of August, now this is where things get a little confusing, uh, on the Irish calendar. So officially, the 22nd of August is the Feast of the Memorial of the Queenship of Mary. Queenship of Mary, this was a tradition, middle-aged tradition, I beg your pardon, uh, where Mary was venerated as Queen of the Angels of the Saints. This, the 12th prescribed the memorial for the Universal now, the reason why it's uh, a little confusing for the Irish calendar, because, of course, the 22nd of uh, August is the date of the apparition in Noc. Uh So, in Knock itself, they, they remember the apparition on the 22nd. But, of course, the actual official feast day for Our Lady of Knock on the Irish calendar is actually the 17th of August. So, it gets a small bit confusing. I really don't know why the bishops did that. So, I think one of the should print it on the program i'm actually going to ask him that question um so that's that's what we celebrate on the 22nd on the 23rd we have a feast day. there's two feasts for on the universal calendar it's saint rose of lima she was dominican and uh, she died in 1617 she's from lima obviously is in peru but that, that kind of goes without saying and she's very much associated with assisting the poor in the city of lima but on the irish calendar we have the feast day of saint owen or eugene of Ard Straw is how it's described on the calendar I was looking at. I've never heard of Ardstraw, Straw, but anyway. Uh, he, uh, this is... Okay, listen to this, John, right? He was captured and enslaved by pirates, first to Britain, then to Brittany in France. Uh, as an adult, he escaped from the pirates, that is, from France, back to Ireland, and he became a monk at and the abbot of Kilnamock Abbey in County Wicklow for 15 years then he retired to live as a hermit in County tyrone and where he attracted many students and he was t- alleged to have been the spiritual teacher of saint kevin of Glendalough. and he he's associated with the Diocese of derry and he died in 618 of causes now on. <laughs> okay for those of you that are having breakfast and particularly if you're having rashers you might want to turn away from the radio some more, but for the next one. The 24th of August is the feast day of St. Bartholomew. Bartholomew is one of the apostles. His name occurs in the Synoptic Gospels, only in the list of the apostles. And he, sometimes he's associated with Nathaniel of Canaan. Now, the interesting thing about it is he's associated with preaching the gospel in India. But, and he is the patron saint of plasterers, tanners, and leather workers. Now, you'd be saying to yourself, what did the poor man do to be such associated with those that deal with flesh. And tradition has it that poor old St. Bartholomew, he was martyred for the faith, and he was martyred by having his game played off him as part of his death. So when you are in it, <laughs> I can see John rolling his eyes. <laughs> mm. Now, it's an interesting one. If you're ever in the Sistine Chapel in Rome, there is a strange figure on the lower right-hand side of the masterpiece from Michelangelo, The Last Judgment, and there is a man holding a very peculiar shape, and it's actually St. Bartholomew holding his skin. Uh, So it's it's just, it's an interesting one. The other interesting thing about St. Bartholomew is the basilica dedicated to him in Rome. It's on the island in the middle of the Tiber River, and unfortunately, actually, there are no relics of St. Bartholomew in that particular basilica, because they just weren't available at the time the basilica was completed. However, in the year 2000, Pope John Paul II, dedicated that basilica to the new martyrs of the 20th century. So if you're ever in Rome, it's well worth a visit because they have on all of the side altars of the basilica, they have different relics and mementos and shrines to those that have died, for example, in the persecution of the Nazis, of the persecution of the communists in Soviet Russia, uh, those that suffered in under the dictatorships of South and Central America. It's well worth a visit if anybody's ever in Rome and has the time to do it. And- and you can easily pass through it because it goes from the region of Rome where you have the, the old ghetto across to Trastevere. So it's, it would be very much along people's kind of touristy paths if you were then heading from Trastevere to the Vatican. So that's the feast day of St. Bartholomew on the 24th of August. And finally then on the 25th of August, which is the Saturday, we have the feast day of St. Louis of France. King Louis of France died in 1270. He had 11 children. God bless his wife. Uh, Franciscan tertiary, man of integrity. He died on the Second Crusade in Tunisia, and he's the patron of the French monarchy and of barbers for some reason. And I could not for the life of me figure out where or find out where the linkage to the barbers came. But anyway, John, that's who we have in terms of our celestial guides for
0: this week. Thank you very much, indeed, Shane. Uh, it was a struggle actually to keep the line going there, but fair duty, Thank you so much for for sharing some of those very interesting stories. We won't go into too much detail and remind us uh, what they were. Uh, just two, just two little notices. One is just remind people again about this pastoral conference entitled "The Future of the Irish Parish," which is in the Irish Institute for Pastoral Studies, uh, St Patrick's Campus in Thurles. That takes place on the twenty eighth and twenty ninth of August. Um, cost is 100 euros, and more information can be taken can be got by contacting Father Eamon Fitzgibbon, uh, as the director. That's um, uh, 0504 20590. That's 0504 20590, or email iips at mic. ul. ie. And at this stage now. Um, we're just uh, going to take a call from Ema Williams from the World Meet and the Family. She's the World Meet and the Family's representative for Limerick. And Ema wants to share with us some information on, I think it's a street party that's taking place in St. John's, uh, St. John's Square on Tuesday. So, Ema, welcome back again to the programme. Um, Meat- Thanks for having me back, John. We've, we've,
3: uh, I suppose we've had a long journey to this. It's to believe we're almost at the visit of the Pope. We've been tra- travelling together over the last couple of months in preparation. So we're almost
0: here now. Aren't we so lucky to be able to catch up on you because you're so busy these days. The, re- it's why busy. the, 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 the reason why we want you on the programme this morning though, is tell us about this street party I think that's taking place in St John's Square next Tuesday. Tell us all about
3: that's it. That's correct, John. We're going to have a street and spiritual party. We'll envelop Limerick on Tuesday as celebrations begin ahead of the World Meeting of Families and the Pope's visit. And in St. John's Square, John Square our John is probably properly called, on Tuesday at 3.30. We're going to begin with what exactly that, a street party. Um, if Many people will remember October's Family Fund Day, when we launched the, the programme, we'll have an idea of the fund that's ahead on Tuesday for all the family. Um, we know that the city and county will hopefully be Still in good mood after today's Pro Park exploits, yes. and the event is expected to keep the party atmosphere rolling in Limerick.
0: Good, good. The
3: event, John, will be launched by Sister Helen Culhane, founder of the Children's Grief Centre in Limerick, and her recently appointed ambassador, Olive Foley, a late Munster and Ireland rugby of the wife of the late Munster and Ireland rugby legend Anthony Foley. Foley. So there will be great uh, music. There will be food, uh, magic, face painting and activities for the children in uh, St. John's Square, which will be pedestrianised. And then, I suppose, at uh, half six, a procession will begin from the square across to St. John's Cathedral. This will be preceded by bells ringing in all the churches in the city. Uh, At this time, we know that the Redemptorist bells will ring the cathedral bells will ring and st mary's pro-cathedral bells will ring the quarter to six calling us to prayer and um there will be an ecumenical evening prayer service across in st john's cathedral with bishop brendan Leahy, his church of ireland equivalent from the diocese of limerick and killaloo kenneth kiernan and members of other faiths leading the psalms and readings. So like one john there'll be organ playing by bernadette kiley a performance of the joy of the world the anthem of the, for the world meeting of families by a mass choir that will be at the papal mass so it's going to be a very exciting afternoon i suppose we're hoping that we'll be still celebrating our win this afternoon and Mm -hmm. that you never know liam mccarthy might even make an appearance on tuesday john
0: very good And, and of course the emphasis is all about family isn't that right
3: It's all about family and it's all about having family having fun together. I think is the big thing about Tuesday afternoon. That's what our event in October was about, family having fun. And we're continuing that theme on Tuesday with come along, have a bit of fun with your family. It'd be lovely to see some of the, I know parents might be working on on,
0: um, Tuesday, Tuesday, but it'd be
3: lovely if the grandparents could bring along the, the children for the afternoon. It'd
0: be wonderful. And just, and just to remind people again, of course, this is the start and off of the whole Festival of Families, which starts off the next day in, in Limerick, just in about. We're off to.
3: Um, I, at that point, uh, once the liturgy is over in um, Limerick, a group of us will be getting in our cars because um, we're heading straight to Dublin because uh, Bishop Brendan Leahy will be moderating one of the first sessions of the World Meeting of Families on Tuesday morning.
0: And, of course, they continue on in in the RDS uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday?
3: Wednesday. That continues in the RDS Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Um, I suppose we have some other uh, Limerick names taking part over the the few days in Dublin. For example, um, I'm trying to think now, but, oh, yeah, Larry Declare from the Bedford Row Family Project uh, will be on a panel discussing the impact of conflict on families and children. Uh, Dr. Jesse Rogers, who many of us will know from the Synod,
4: yeah.
3: um, is participating in a, num- a number of workshops. Okay. Olive Foley will speak on a panel which will include rugby legend Ron- Ronan O'Gara on celebrating family and sport. And we have many young people from across the diocese um, volunteering. And while there's a large number from choirs in the diocese among those singing at the paper mat. So it's going to be uh, an exciting week. Um And a little bit like what um, uh, Bishop Brenton said in Kaledi on Wednesday, I think, you know, we're at a crossroads. He would have said that we're at a crossroads for the church. Mm -hmm. But I think this World Meeting of Families is going to give us some direction as to how to go forward.
0: Perfect. So so just one final reminder again, 3.30 p.m. Tuesday?
3: 3.30 p.m. in the square, 7 p.m. for the liturgy in the cathedral.
0: Perfect. Listen, Ima, thanks a lot for coming on and maybe we'll speak to you again in a few weeks' time when it's all over and your thoughts and so on and so forth.
3: That would be great, John. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ima.
0: Bye-bye now.
2: Thank
0: you. So at this part of the programme, before we go for our first bit of music, uh, there's a spiritual communion prayer that we pray each Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And Lorraine might pray that spiritual communion prayer for us, please. Lorraine, thank you.
1: So we invite you to make a spiritual communion with us this morning. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Thank you so much for that, Lorraine. So now we're going for our first bit of music. And of course, the music choices this morning is all courtesy of our good friend Shane Ambrose. So, Shane, your first bit of music. What do you have for us this morning, please, the first piece?
2: Yeah, given that we're only a short period of time away from the big event, which, of course, is the Congress for the World Meeting of Families in Dublin, as opposed to the papal visit, I thought this morning, John, the first piece of music we would do is the theme, uh, the, not the theme, the, yeah, the theme hymn for the, for the World Meeting of Families. Uh, um, so just to kind of promote the event.
5: Sacred Space.
0: So, welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. My name is John Keeley. Still joined by Lorraine Buckley here in studio, and Shane is on the other end of the Skyline. And this week, um, Shane, you you, you thought it might be a good idea if we had a chat or discussion on the year of the three popes or three popes, should I say? Where would Hmm. you want to start and go with this, please?
2: I have no idea, John. Let's figure it out as we go together. (laughs) So, I know being serious for a moment. Yes. Um, this was a discussion we were having, and it came. It came kind of. It popped up on my radar because, of course, um, August the sixth is the anniversary of the death of Paul the Sixth. And <clears throat> excuse me. And the reason Paul the Sixth is on my calendar at the moment is, of course, that in October, on the fifteenth of October the fourteenth of October, Paul the Sixth is going to be canonized in Rome, uh, along with Oscar Romero and about six other people. And of course, uh, and and it is the 40th anniversary of the Pope's death, and of course, it is the 50th anniversary of the publication of his most famous encyclical, Humanae Vitae. And of course, he died in 1978, and he died on the 6th of August, and 1978, of course, is the year of the three Popes, because he was, of course, was succeeded by John Paul I. Unfortunately, Pope John Paul died within 33 days, and then, of course, we entered into the pontificus of the probably the 20th century, which was the pontificate of John Paul II. So we said we'd have a small bit of reflection and a discussion about the three men and their impact and all the rest of it. And for those that were alive at the time, no mentions, uh, we'd be asking them to share their memories of the occasion. Now, some of us weren't even, you know, little twinkles in the eyes of our fathers, but the rest of us, you know, some of the rest of us on the program uh, would have been around at the time. Now, the year of three popes, it's an interesting thing. It was the 13th time that we had, had an incident where you had three popes reigning in the same year. Now a year of three popes means that the college of cardinals would have had to elect would have had two elections in the same calendar year. So that's what it means. Previously to 1978 the the, the last year we had three popes was in uh, 1605 with Paul Clement VIII, Leo the Eleventh, uh, and Paul V. Um, and Paul V of course was the the pope that was very much associated with implementing the, uh, what would I call it, the, he he was, sorry, he was famous for persecuting Galileo. That would have been the last time it happened. But anyway, so, 78, 6th of of August, we have the death of Paul VI. Now, interesting thing, you know, random factoid for you. In 1978, Pope Paul VI died on the 6th of August. 6th of August is the Feast of the Transfiguration. John Paul I, Pope John Paul I, died on the 29th of September, which is the feast day of the archangels. And then his successor, Pope John Paul II, died in 2005 on the vigil of divine mercy. So I just thought it was interesting, those three popes, and in particular the days that they died uh, over their their history. Paul VI, of course, was, um, you know, he was giovanni battista montini born in 1897 and he served for much of his priesthood and his adult life he served in the secretariat of state in the vatican very much associated and a confidant and friend of pope pius the twelfth he was only appointed uh, and he, he was he, he was in the secretariat of state from 1937 to 1954 and then in pope john paul the, or sorry pope john the 23rd rather uh well, Pope Pope sorry Pope Pius XII appointed him bishop of archbishop of Venice and then John the ele- 23rd ele- ele- him to the college of cardinals in 1958 and of course Paul VI uh, took over after the death of good Pope John Pope John Paul, John the 23rd died in 1963 and uh, he died of 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 uh, cancer actually I didn't I had never actually realized that uh, that, uh, that that that's what pope john the 23rd died on it's an interesting one paul vi uh, was interesting from a number of perspectives he was a curial pope that means he had really he hadn't much pastoral experience and he had served very much in the curia in rome and his election to the papacy he took the name of paul of course so that st paul and he reconvened the second vatican council after the death of john the 23rd because the rule states that a a, a council or an ecumenical council automatically closes on the date of the pope that got call, that call, that called it. Um, Paul, of course, then became famous for the implementation and interpretation of the council's mandates. And of course, that created many controversies and difficulties of the time, particularly most famous, I suppose, around liturgy is one of the ones that we're still dealing with down to the modern day. And it is the mass of Pope Paul VI that we use uh, on a day-to-day basis in our churches today. Um, he was a very Marian-focused pope, and he spoke re- repeatedly to conventions and Mariological meetings. And he wrote three Marian, encyclical, Marian encyclicals. And he, declared, he named Mary as mother of the church during one of the sessions of the Vatican Council. Now, the interesting thing about Paul was also that he was a man that got rid of a lot of the pomp and circumstances that surrounded the papal court. So, for example, he got rid of the, uh, the nobles of the, port, of the papal court. The, the, noble, the Roman nobility that had been very much associated with the papal court. He also reduced the amount of uh, soldiers that were involved with the papal court. So he got rid of the noble guard, the palatine guard, and reduced it just to the Swiss guards, uh, who, who are still uh, the defenders of the Vatican City, down to the current day. It's an interesting one. Paul um, was very much seen as, a, an in, as, a, a, as a, a reforming pope, but he wrote his last encyclical in 1968, and he didn't write any other encyclical after that, because, of course, the encyclical in 1968 was Humanae Vitae, and he, the reaction to it, uh, he, he, he was very hurt uh, by the reaction to it from around the world. It's an interesting thing. Paul also focused on ecumenism, um, so he was very much involved with outreach to the Orthodox Church. He was the first pope to visit Jerusalem since the time of St. Peter, and he also listed lifted even the excommunication that was the t- that was in place between the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church since 1054. Uh, he's also tro- he's, he's also the Pope that started the Pope traveling around the world. Most people associate that with John Paul II actually, but Paul VI was the man that started it. He visited all the five or six continents of the world, or five of the continents of the world. Uh, he visited. Um, the Holy Land, he visited India, he went to the United Nations in, 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 in New York, he visited Turkey and Portugal, he went to Colombia, he went to Switzerland and Uganda, and he visited uh, the Philippines and Australia and parts of Oceania. Now, from an Irish perspective, the interesting thing about Paul VI uh, was he was the Pope that canonized Oliver Plunkett in 1975. Uh, from an English perspective, he was the Pope that canonized the, English, the 40 English and Welsh martyrs and from a from a Scottish perspective, he was the pope that canonized St. John Ogilvie, Ogilvie, I think is how you pronounce his name. I'm really actually tripping up after that one. And uh, he was also the pope very much associated with canonizing the Ugandan martyrs, um, which was, and he then visited the shrine to the Ugandan martyrs when he visited Uganda in 1969. He was the first pope to visit uh, the African continent. So that was... Paul, That was Paul. He died uh, from he had, he had a prolonged illness, and he died in Castle Gandalfo. And uh, so that was Paul um, <clears> the <throat> Sixth. But the interesting thing, of course, about Paul the Sixth, more than anything else, was actually his successor, who was John Paul the First. Now, John, do you remember 1978? Can you remember John Paul the First?
0: i 'd say most of us can because uh, the first that we that the first thoughts we had when we first of all um, met this Pope for one of a better word on our TV screens was he was such a gentle person and a person with a big smile maybe it reminded us a lot of um john the twenty third
2: yeah, I know that and that would be a fair one because john paul the first this is one of these popes where historians would, could say what hap- what would have happened if um he was Italian. His real name was Albino, or not his real name, but his, his given name, I should say, was Albino Luciani. And he was uh, born in, just a second, I've lost it here in my notes. He, he was born in Belluno, which is a province of the Veneto region in northern Italy, so kind of up near Venice for people that are trying to figure out where that is. Uh, it's an interesting one. He wasn't. He was a pastoral man, didn't aspire to high office in the church, by any manner of means, and he was uh, he studied at the Gregorian in Rome, and then he returned to the diocese, his home diocese, and he served as the seminary vice rector from 1937 to 1947. Before he was then vicar general of his diocese, and then he was appointed bishop of Vittorio Venuto in 1958. Uh, he participated in the Second Vatican Council, and then in 1969 he was appointed the Archbishop and Patriarch of Venice. Or uh, Pope Paul VI made him a cardinal in 1973. Now, interesting point: Paul VI appointed him as a cardinal. He's three successors. So, Paul VI elevated to the cardinalist John Paul I, John Paul II, and Pope Benedict XVI. So, just that was an interesting thing. I, when I was getting ready for the program, I, I discovered it today because I hadn't realized that.
4: That's
2: an, that's an interesting point. Now, of course, the tragedy with John Paul I was. That the short, he he was only pope for thirty three days, um, you know he was elected um on the twenty sixth of August nineteen seventy eight after the funeral of Pope Paul the sixth, and it was an interesting one. He's supposed to have said, uh, "God, a mercy in what you've done, I accept." When he was asked, "Did he accept the election of as as pontiff?" Um, and he was convinced that he was not going to be elected pope. He had told his secretary that he was going home, and even if he was asked, he would decline if he, the papacy if he was elected. Um, but he did accept the election, and he's supposed to have said to Cardinal Sen, who was the, well, the cardinal uh, from the Philippines, that he said to him, you were a prophet, but my reign will be a short one. And this was because the, Philipp- the Philippines cardinal had said to him, you will be the new pope. So it was interesting. When his election was announced on to the Logia of St. Peter's, uh, he took a double name. It was John Paul. He was the first pope to take a double-barrel name like that. And it was in tribute to his two predecessors, to John the 23rd and Pope Paul Sixth. And, you know, he, was, he also, it was an interesting one. I think, as you said, John, for many people, the first thing that was associated with this pope was his smile. Um, and uh, that is something that, if you read, and if you're reading about him again and again and again, it's the smile of this man that people remember. He was known in Italy as Il Papa del Sorriso, which is the Smiling Pope, or Il Sorriso de Dio, which is the Smile of God. Uh, so it's an interesting one. So of course, the problem with it is, of course, he died after 33 days, um, and he he he. It was, it, it was controversial because, of course, he died so quick and there was the mystery about it. And also, of course, the Vatican didn't handle it very well. Um, they kind of messed up a small bit how it was announced because there was the whole controversy about who found the Pope. And for some strange reason, the Vatican decided it would be a good idea to say he was found by his secretary as opposed to the fact that he was found by two nuns that looked after the papal household. Uh, the Irish connection with it, of course, is that it was... Uh, as he was then Father John McGee, later Bishop John McGee of cloyne, who was papal secretary at the time, uh, so that 's the Irish connection to John Paul I. He was found lying in his dead, lying in his bed with a book open beside him, and a reading light on and He was supposed to have been reading uh, the imitation of Christ, and the interesting thing about it is it was a, it was a heart attack, and that 's what the Vatican doctor con- confirmed uh, to the College of Cardinals afterwards um, so that was that was John Paul the first and of course it is a question what if what would have happened if he had lived what would have happened if he had been a Pope for a long period of time you know and there's this whole speculation what would he have done with the Vatican Bank what would he have done with Opus Dei what would he have done with various teachings of the church and various different issues would he have confirmed the teaching of Humanae Vitae all the rest of it and we just don't know the Lord called him home and you know when the Lord calls you must respond it's an interesting one also that you know, he he's very much kind of a what-if pope, particularly in Italy, uh, because he was the last Italian pope, because he, of course, was succeeded by John Paul II. And John Paul II, of course, was Carlo Watila, from a far country, and, of course, was the first non-Italian pope since Pope Adrian IV, who was a Dutchman sometime around the 1600s. So John Paul II, of course, uh, was, you know, the great crusader pope, the great... For you know, for myself and Lorraine, he was the only pope we knew for many, many years until he died in 2005. Very much, of course, associated with the fall of communism and you know the the the, the globe hopping, hopping and trotting pope. Um, Lorraine, what would your memories be of John Paul II?
1: Well, I suppose John Paul II is the pope that I grew up with because I was only born in 1976. So mm. he really was the pope that was there with me for most of my life. Um, John Paul II had a great charisma, and I think that was part of his natural gifts and talents. A highly intellectual man, but a man that was able to relate to every age group, and I suppose especially the youth. Uh,
2: Mm. What about yourself, Shane? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I went to, I suppose, uh, like your story, I'm a baby of the 80s, so I wasn't around for the papal visit in 1979. But I went to Rome in 2000 for the Jubilee year for the World Youth Day, and I was at Tor Vergata with a further two million youngsters listening to this you know, elderly, infirm man saying to us, you know, if you, call, if you are who you, you're called to be, you will set the whole world on fire. And he was, of course, quote, quoting there the great saint Catherine of Siena. But it was something that stuck, it stuck out at me for many, has stuck with me since, you know, that, as you said, Lorraine, that great charisma and that uh, connectivity, particularly with young people. But of course, you know, there, it, it, you know it's, it's, it's an interesting one to look and see the natures of the three popes we had in 78, um, you know, and the, and the impact it would have had on the church. John Paul VI, very much a pope associated with the church of the early part of the first part of the 20th century, a reforming pope, the man that took on the onerous task of implementing the council's reforms and mandates. I suppose some of the criticisms that would arise in relation to Paul the Sixth Paul is how that was implemented and whether it was done in conformity with the wishes of the Council of the Fathers. That's a debate that will go down through the centuries, you know, because it will be something that will be argued long after we're gone in terms of the implementation of the Second Vatican Council. Of course, the other thing he's associated with is, of course, the teachings he issued and the the documents he issued. Um, in terms of, as you know, he wrote on Mariology quite a bit. He also wrote on the Holy Eucharist in Mysterium Fide in 1965. And of course, he also wrote Populario Progressio*, which was on the development of peoples in 1967, uh, which is very much a document which underpins uh, Catholic social teaching and the uh, in, in, in the church today. Uh, of course, as we said, it was a what if scenario in terms of John Paul I. We don't really know what view he would have taken on different things. Uh, but he very much brought a pastoral focus back to the papacy after, you know, the curialist, which was Paul VI. Um, <clears throat> you know, he, he, was, he didn't deliver any particular documents. He didn't have time. And he's, but that's, I suppose the thing that's associated with him from a papal point of view was he got rid of the tiara. He didn't use the tiara. He wasn't crowned pope. Paul VI was the last pope to be crowned. Uh, John Paul I also got rid of the chair which the popes used to be carried around in, in St. Peter's Square and very much kind of introduced that idea of what we now call the Popemobile, although it's particularly more associated with John Paul II. Um, it's also, I suppose, a case of, you know, the whole drama and excitement at the time. It was a very expensive year, actually, Lorraine, for the Vatican, because every time there is a change in the papacy, all the staff at the Vatican get an extra month's salary. So it was. I think. I think I saw somewhere the BBC said it cost the Vatican about three million pounds sterling extra uh, uh, in 1978 because of the deaths of the of the two popes involved. The other big thing, of course, about it was it led led to a huge shift in the viewing of the papacy. Paul VI had very much internationalized the College of Cardinals by appointing cardinals from all over the world, and by doing so, he enabled. the the election of a non-Italian pope for the first time when we had, of course, the election of the Pole, Cardinal Cardinal Carl Wattiglia. And it was interesting, after his election in the Sistine Chapel, John Paul II uh, sat alone in the chapel beneath Michelangelo's huge fresco of the last judgment. And Cardinal Basil Hume is said to have said, looking on at him, I felt desperately sad for the man, he recalled, but somebody has to carry this tremendous burden. And I suppose it's something that we should remember. You know, 40 years later, as we recall the year of the three popes in 1978, I suppose it's no harm to remember it can be a lonely job. Um, You know, the pope um, is the vicar of Christ. His boss is the god, (laughs) you know. And in some ways it can be a lonely task to head up the faithful and to be seen as a polyglot, as a, a pastoral leader, as a politician, you know, and it's not an easy task. And those that are called to serve in that position, I suppose, as Catholics, we're asked to pray for them and to remember them in our prayers. And I suppose, as we're recalling, it is the 40th anniversary. I suppose we should also pray for the repose of their souls. Um, Paul VI will be canonized, as I said, in October. John Paul I, uh, he's on the road to canonization. He has been declared venerable. And, of course, John Paul II has already been canonized uh, by his, his successors. So who knows? We'll have to wait and see what happens with John Paul I. But that was it, John, just for 1978,
0: the year of the three popes. Shane, thank you so much for that. Now, time for our second bit of music, and because we are midway through the novena for A Lady of Knock, Shane decided it'd be a good idea to play um, A Lady of Knock by Rose Miss So let's say this.
5: Of all ages gathered round the gable wall, poor and humble men and women, little children that you
4: call.
5: We are gathered here before you, and our hearts are just the same. Filled with joy at such a vision, as we praise Your name, golden. sacred space.
0: Again to part three of Sacred Space, and um, that was a beautiful piece of music. I am the Bread of Life by the Notre Dame College Folk Choir. So, this being the most important part of the program, is we read and reflect on the Word of God. Before, before that, there's a prayer we always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture, and actually, I'll pray that myself this morning. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, humbly, and attentively. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, Shane, you might share the Gospel with us, please, this week. Thanks, John.
2: So the Gospel this week is again taken from the Gospel of John. It's chapter 6, verses 51 to 58. Jesus said to the crowd, I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. Then the Jews started arguing with one another, <clears throat> How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They said. Jesus replied, I tell you most solemnly, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. Anyone who does not eat my flesh and drink my blood has anyone who does eat my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I shall raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. As I, who am sent by the living Father, myself draw life from the Father, so whoever eats me will draw life from me. <clears throat> this is the bread come down from heaven, not like the bread our ancestors ate, they are dead, but anyone who eats this
0: bread will live forever. Thank you for that, Shane. So, that's the Gospel for this week, which is the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time. So, Lorraine, have you a few thoughts you might want to share with us, please?
1: Actually, I came across a little reflection by a woman called Trisha Timbrell. She's writing for lifeteen.com, which is a Catholic youth ministry blog, and she's a Catholic youth worker based in the United States. And she's just reflecting on these uh, few verses from John chapter six. Of course, as we heard last week, uh, which was also on John six and next week is also on John six, we're reflecting very much on the Eucharist at the moment. And the take that she takes on it, Tricia, she says, I think the disciples and followers of Christ are a bit confused in the Gospel today because they are fixated more on what Christ is asking them to do rather than on what he wants to give them. They cannot get past his repeated invitation to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. And they even quarrel saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And she poses the very important question, why are they not focusing on what he is promising them? Christ is offering them eternal life and they cannot hear him. He even spells out what he wants for them in five different ways. He says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him on the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. But all they can hear is, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, and they don't even hear you do not have life within you. She says, our nature as human doings, as opposed to human beings, Mm -hmm. is to focus more on what we have to do versus why we are doing it. In other words, we focus on our little chores, our little tasks, Mm -hmm. rather than on God's great promises for us. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate thing about that, then, is when we're looking at our relationship with other people, we often focus more on what we want from others
4: Mm.
1: rather than what we want for others. In other words, Trisha goes on to explain how that, that evolves in youth ministry. But what are we wanting for people? That they grow in love with Jesus Christ. Mm. Why? Because we're created out of love and for love. That's what eternal life is all about. It's to share in that wonderful love of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So we want people to grow in their relationship with Christ and fall deeply in love with him. To learn more about our faith and the truths of the church. Like today, Jesus spells out very clearly that the Eucharist is truly his Flesh and blood. It's not just a sign. It's not just a little memorial that we celebrate every Sunday. Every time we go to Mass and receive Jesus, we are receiving His body and blood. She said. It calls us to develop our relationships with other peoples, to strengthen our relationships as a parish, um, as individual members of a community and how we live out our Catholic faith in the world and to discover new gifts that God has given us so that we can share those gifts with other people. That's really the focus of today's program, if you like, because even looking at the three popes, it was God had chosen them to be our popes. At that time, because he had given them the gifts Mm. to be the Pope at that time, even poor John Paul I, who only kind of was Pope for 33 days, it was part of God's plan that he be Pope. Like, you kind of wonder at times, did the church get it wrong by electing him?
4: Mm.
1: No, he was instrumental for those 33 days of papacy. And of course, we don't understand it now, but please God, when we get Mm. to heaven and, and see the full vastness of God's creation and God's plan, we'll be able to understand it. And the other thing that today's Gospel and next Sunday's Gospel asks us to reflect on is our relationship with the Eucharist itself. Mm -hmm. Do we truly believe that the Eucharist is Jesus Christ? And do we truly believe in that relationship between the Eucharist and eternal life? Because I think if we reflected more on that, Mm -hmm. we'd only be dying to go to Mass.
0: Lorraine, thank you so much for that It uh, brings us to the end of the program Sorry about that um, Kind of caught for time Just one little thought that I just want to share That I picked up there at Lecture Divina With Father Frank Duick on and, and, uh, Monday night last Father Frank was emphasising Again, just as you mentioned there About the bread of life This is the real body and blood of Jesus That's the first thing But the second thing he said Is that just to remember All that spiritual energy that we get from receiving Holy Communion. So therefore, when we are at Mass and the, whole, uh, and the priest offers us the body and blood of Christ and this is the body of Christ and we say Amen, two things. We're well, first saying Amen, yes, I believe that is the body of Jesus. And secondly is, yes, I'm willing and I'm prepared to go out and do what you want me to do to spread that good news. Okay. Anyway, at this part of the program we've got to go. It's, uh, thank you very much indeed, Lorraine and Shane for joining us this morning. And we might do it all again next week.
1: (laughs) Okay. God bless you all now. God bless. bye Bye bye.
5: Bye. Sacred Space.